There's been a lot of buzz in the copywriting world around VIP offers. What should you include? What should you charge? How much is too much? How do you avoid burnout? The questions go on and on. Luckily, we're covering a ton of your questions about VIP offers today with Think Tank member and our guest for the 272nd episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, Kristen McIntyre. After shifting from a standard VIP day to a VIP intensive model, Kristen has figured out the best way to deliver a true VIP client experience. We'll dig into all the details in today's interview. But first, I have a very special co-host for this episode, Think Tank alumni member, Rachel Griman. So Rachel, thanks for co-hosting with me today. Can you introduce yourself and say hello? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Rachel Griman. As Kira said, I am a website copywriter for photographers. It is the nichiest of niches. And I love it. I have, um, I own Green Chair Stories and we are a small copywriting collective. We have four writers besides myself at this point, and we write about 50 websites a year. We don't do anything else and we like it that way. All right. I love it. Okay. And we're going to definitely dive into your business today because there is some overlap with what Kristen's doing in her business. So We'll dig in deeper, but uh, before we get into the interview, this week's sponsor for the podcast is TCC IRL. That's the Copywriter Club in real life, our big annual event. Uh, before I give you know the dates and all the information, Rachel, can you just share a little bit about your experience at TCC IRL because you've been before and you are attending in Nashville this March. So what was it like for you? Yeah. The first one I've been to two, I went in 2019 and 2020 and the first one was in New York and oh, that's right. Yeah. it was the first time I had ever invested in any type of like copywriting education or networking. Um, even though I had been doing it for a long time, I always worked for other organizations and it was nonprofit. So I didn't know anybody that did it freelance or ran their own business. It was a completely new world to me. I had stumbled upon the podcast earlier that year and we were living in Philly at the time. So I was like, I can make it the drive up to New York. And I was just so surprised at how much I could learn from people who did things that were so different than me. Like I do something so specific that I was kind of not skeptical, but hesitant to really feel like I was going to get all that much from the speakers, but I took an entire notebook full of notes that first, um, like the first day almost, I think I filled a notebook because I was realizing how much I had to learn as a business owner. Um, and so many things that other people were doing, even if they were launch copywriters or direct sales copywriters, I learned so much from them just because of the way they ran their business. Um, and so the speakers themselves were amazing, but then I met some of my dearest friends now, um, who I've known for almost three years. It's crazy to think about that. I have a daily Marco Polo thread with like Lisa Bailey, Sarah Frandina, um, Kelsey Jenkins and Andrea Littell. <laughs> so I talk to them all the time and they have been extremely supportive friends and just like business partners. You know, they're people I can go to with all of my questions. It was, it was kind of like taking that spirit of the event and extending it into my daily life. And 
it's kind of a reunion now when we go. So I think we're all going to go again this year. I know a couple of them are going, I'm trying to get all of them to go again, (laughs) but um, yeah, it kind of is just like our little posse. I love that. So maybe, yeah, if you're listening and you want some copywriter besties, this could be an event worth checking out uh, in Nashville, Tennessee on March 28th through the 30th. And you can find out more information at thecopywriterclub.com backslash TCCIRL dash 2022. Now let's jump into the interview with Kristen. It's a windy story as they, as they normally are. But I suppose when I think of where I am now as a copywriter, I can really see roots beginning like when I was younger. Um, I was always interested in writing, of course. I had the classic assignment in seventh grade or so to write a poem, right, in language arts class. And, and I loved that activity. Uh, so creative writing was something that I loved from when I was young. And as I got older, I figured I would go to school for what I loved, which was English and writing um, and reading. And I did that and finished uh, a bachelor's degree after some start stop <laughs> of that degree and ended up in a, uh, master, in a master of fine arts program in Colorado State University studying poetry uh, for three years, which was truly such an amazing experience. And after that, I decided to teach, get into the world of teaching higher ed. And the poetry faculty jobs are very limited. So I ended up teaching freshmen in college how to write their research papers. So still language-minded and writer-minded, but uh, I I got away a little bit from the creative side of writing um, and ended up teaching composition. Uh, which was a job that I fell disenchanted with uh, kind of quickly after a couple of years teaching gets exhausting. And not because of the students. The students were my favorite part for sure. But um, the red tape and the admin stuff and all of the emotional labor that is really not factored into your paycheck uh, gets kind of exhausting. So in my fifth year as a teacher, I was looking for an alternative possibility for a career. And I had no idea what that would be. And I finally settled on um, or settled into the you know thought that I would go back to school to become an occupational therapist, which I felt like was a great job with like, you know, something, uh, a career at the end of the degree that I would be able to roll right into. And I geared up to do that. I took extra classes in school. I took the GRE, which is a big entrance exam to get into a master's program for occupational therapy. And I applied. I applied to some schools and I got in. And I was waiting to, you know, just submit my acceptance to a new master's program. And somehow through the algorithm gods... Uh, I came across a copywriting program and figured I would give that a shot. That I thought was going to turn into just a side hustle to make me some extra money and, uh, you know, fund my way through a second master's degree. And I did so well in my first, I don't know, three or four months that I quit teaching 
I told the master's program I wasn't coming and I went all in on building a copywriting business. Okay. So as soon as you mentioned that you like study poetry, I started Googling and see if I could find some of your poems and I found some. Oh God. What? <laughs> wait, wait, some. play the play the dramatic music right now. <laughs> yeah. some dramatic music. So I'm not gonna I'm not I don't know if I don't think they're embarrassing. I, they, they're actually kind of cool. So you've you've submitted like a lot of poems and things to different wow. publications. Like this is totally cool. Talk, talk to me a little bit about like the art of poetry because I like some of my favorite writers when I'm when I'm reading fiction, one of the things that occurs to me when I'm reading that is that sometimes the thing I like about it is how poetic the language feels and it's not necessarily the same as copywriting or you know even normal conversation. They just have a poets have a way of seeing the world I think that's just a little bit different and maybe more interesting. So, yeah, tell us about, you know, your approach when you were writing poetry. Maybe you still do write poetry, but your approach to to doing that when I think of poetry and I think of fiction and these kind of creative veins of writing, poetry stands out to me as a mode of thinking about the world that is, you're right, Rob, a little bit different than our traditional kind of narrative driven, like a prose story, right? Or um, like poetry suspends itself from that typical sentence structure sometimes that we think about and we expect when we speak or we read. So when you're when you're reading poems or you're writing poems, it's a really, really interesting experience to say, I have to suspend what I expect out of this language that I've come to know, this regular sentence structure and this narrative form that I'm going to meet a story here and be open to encountering this thing that I know so well, which is language, in a brand new way, which is why poetry invites in those funny line breaks and these really surprising images and even these sound patterns, right? We invite these different modes of language into poetry a little bit more freely than we do in fiction or nonfiction. And that has always been really interesting to me. And I think, I, I truly think that it's an exercise in, in empathy um, when you can meet a poem and say, I'm going to suspend everything I expect of you. And I'm going to ask this poem questions and I'm going to read it and I'm going to experience it exactly the way it is and absorb that and respond to it. That's truly an, a, a, an empathy practice and a really great way to interact with the rest of the world too. How how does your background in poetry show up today in your own writing and launch copy or even in your business if it if it does? I think that and maybe this piggybacks off of what I was just chatting about, but um I really do think that when I'm writing conversion copy for launches and I'm doing market research or I'm investigating um, a particular pain point or audience to get to know their pain points. It's really a poetic practice, like I was chatting about with um, inviting empathy into the equation and going into that market research, really suspending everything that I think I know about that audience and asking open-ended questions and being really um, willing to listen 
I think is something that we do in poetry is, is we listen to that poem, you know? Um, and I think that's what we do in market research. We listen to the, to our audience. Um, and those things might on their face seem very different, but I, I don't think they are that different. So I think listening is one big piece of how the art of poetry and the art of conversion copy uh, kind of converge. Another thing I'll, I'll say too is the poem is has this type of architecture in it um, that that's really really interesting. Uh, whether you're again breaking lines or adding sound elements to poems, there's this hidden architecture, much like there is to music, and I think that's true of conversion copy too. You know, when we think of launch strategy or we think of a sales page strategy, there's a lot of architecture to that page that really comes into play as you're being creative, as you're listening, as you're writing, as you're revising. And those are things that I'm truly interested in my business too, is thinking about, you know, the hidden architectures that we take for granted or maybe gloss over that truly matter. So I, I have like three or four un, sort of weirdly formed questions in my head to ask, but do you think that more copywriters ought to be more poetic in their approach or that we could benefit from reading more poetry? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go that far, but I do think because uh, poetry as an art form really truly isn't for everyone. Um, and that's perfectly okay. Just like painting isn't for everyone or music isn't for everyone. Uh I do think that inviting art or creativity into your life does almost the same things as uh, what I've what I've come to know and love, which is poetry. Um, so, do I think more copywriters might be invite a creative practice into their lives to, uh, you know, again practice empathy and see where their mind takes them? Absolutely, I think that's for sure a strength to. Um, like undergird all the thinking we do about conversion, right? Which is a, a word I'm not a fan of, <laughs> but yes. Okay. So last question about poetry, at least for me, who are your favorite poets? Like two or three people that, you know, if we wanted to, you know, get a little bit more into poetry, open up our eyes and ears to that, who would you recommend? Sure. I always recommend a book called Night Sky with Exit Wound um, by a, a Vietnamese-American poet named Ocean Vuong, who is really, really, truly tremendous. And I think his poems are um, uh, obviously beautiful, but also very accessible. So uh, I think maybe beginner-friendly. Um, I will also throw out another poet um, who I come back to again and again, whose name is Kava Akbar. And he has a very tiny book called Portrait of the Alcoholic, uh, which is a collection of poems that are about, or rather uh, derived from his days of dealing with active alcoholism that are just truly stunning. So those are my two recommendational recommendations always in the beginning. So I know I'm putting you on the spot with this question, but you mentioned that you can ask questions of a poem and in the same way, when you sit down to work on a launch project with a client, you will ask questions and not really assume anything. Um, those are my words, not your words, but can you give an example of how, what that actually looks like with a launch project? The best questions to ask are always open-ended, right? Um, we don't want to phrase anything 
And this is where language also comes into play, right? It's just so woven into everything. We don't want to phrase anything in a leading way. We want to be almost observers rather than active participants. And and I know that kind of observers paradox is a, a thing, right? You can't ever not your presence can, can't can really uh, be removed. And that's true in market research too. Um, but I think the best questions to ask are questions that truly um, are looking for the right answer or the audience's true answer and not the answer you're hoping to find, um, which might be a vague way of answering that question. But again, open-ended questions that don't lead into or pigeonhole your client or the or the interviewee into a certain answer are always best to get an empathetic um, relationship built. So Kristen, as we've talked with people on the podcast and in our programs, a lot of copywriters have some kind of teaching experience in the background, you know, whether, you know, they, they did, you know, some, they, they taught a class or, you know, certainly not at the level that you did with, you know, multiple master's degrees, that kind of a thing. But I have this theory that all copywriters our teachers, you know, we're, we're basically teaching people about products, we're teaching about opportunities for them, you know, to improve their lives, whatever. How would you say that your experience as a teacher contributes to what you do as a copywriter? I, I found that as a teacher, whenever I was trying to connect with my students or show them something new um, that they hadn't encountered before, tangible examples really are, are kind of that last um, that that last leap that takes folks from just kind of thinking about things theoretically into practical application. Um, so, th- almost the number one thing that I always come back to when I'm teaching anything or maybe giving a presentation is, okay, I can explain the step by step pieces here in digestible, actionable ways. And then I have to give an example if that's going to solidify for my audience Um, and maybe uh, an unsurprising answer. But I think that examples are really, truly underplayed, especially in the online course world. Taking a couple courses myself where the material is um, very theoretical or the course creators may be explaining something, maybe a framework, but None of that is ever truly brought into focus with an example, or honestly, maybe two or three examples of how that theory might play out a few ways. Um, that That's always what like a tenet of teaching that I've uh, seen come true in, in my copywriting life when I'm chatting with clients. Let's talk about where your business is today. And I, when did you make that pivot and move over to copywriting and, and ditch the pursuit of occupational therapy. How long ago was that? Oh, that was just, um, let's see. I started my copywriting business, like got an LLC in January or maybe February of 2020. I worked real hard to, you know, set all the backend stuff up, get a website up. And I sent out my first cold email to a, to get my first clients on the day that the coronavirus was declared a pandemic. And that was in March, 2020. So it truly wasn't that long ago, maybe uh, a year and a half. I opened doors. Yeah. And 
And I wanted to share that because you have grown so quickly and you've had so many successes since then, including, I believe, a 17K month and um, the type of success that so many of us aspire to achieve. And so I'm just wondering, you know, how are you able to do that so quickly and what what were those actions that you took to get to where you are today? I'm 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 truly wowed by this kind of world that I've uh, that we all are, are, are all existing in uh, this online business world and the, the copywriters business world um, because I yeah I would have never expected things to accelerate as fast as they have for me uh, in in a year and a half which is super cool um, and I'm still on this end of everything kind of scratching my head over it all too <laughs> um, but I will say that one of the most important, a couple a couple of really important things looking back on a year and a half um, in business, but one of the most important things that I think I've done for myself as a new business owner, which is I still consider myself a new business owner, is invest in personal help, whether that's getting copywriting feedback from somebody I admire or hiring a business coach. And um, I, I'm in the think tank now a couple months with you two and really truly having an expert's eyes on what you're doing and being able to make personalized suggestions or brainstorm with you about your business. Uh, it, it just, it, it puts the uh, pedal to the metal almost. It just takes everything up a notch and you get to see those results a bit quicker. So I'd love to hear about that first client. You obviously, you know, emailed for clients on maybe the worst day for business in the past decade, <laughs> maybe even longer than that. Like, how, what did you do to connect with that first client to get your business going? Because you know, like you and Kira were pointing out, you launched at a terrible time and yet you've had some amazing growth and success. So what was that first step? The first step was... Uh truly terrifying. I sent out a batch of cold emails, which were my first cold emails ever. I was in a different niche. I, I started out writing for folks in the medical industry. So yeah, I guess maybe I had a few responses that first batch of cold emails. I landed my first client within a month of starting. Um, and that, that was a really tiny first job. It was a $200 blog post uh, for a nutritionist. And I was ecstatic. I made $200 uh, by myself online and somebody was paying me to write a blog post for them. And I, I truly couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> and I think I spent a couple of months in that niche in the cold emailing world, uh, gathering a few clients before I pivoted into more of the launch copy space. And um, I just got real hooked on on. Uh, digital courses. And that was maybe one year ago from right now. And what what does your business look like today? What type of offers, um, packages have you created? Today, and my business has gone through a couple, uh, I've shed a couple layers uh, in the past year and a half. Um, I started off in the medical space, and then I pivoted to uh, launch copy and wrote a few big launches. And um, earlier this year, I stumbled upon the VIP model and tried out, tried that hat on, um, and I started offering VIP days, and I totally fell in love with them. So now uh, my business 
only I only offer VIP intensives. It's I, I built out my VIP day to be a VIP intensive um, to write launch copy for course creators, and that's it. I have one offer. <laughs> and what does a typical engagement look like? You know, what, if I come to you, Kristen, and say, "Okay, I want to hire you," you know, a VIP day. What does that look like? What's my experience as a client? Sure. Yeah. Um, so if you are a client, you fill out, or you'd like to be a client and work together, you'd fill out an application. And um, I'll say too that it's just me and my business. Um, I don't have a team of writers. I actually don't have a team of anybody. <laughs> uh, I just hired a VA to help me with onboarding maybe a month ago, but we're, we're working together about five hours a month. So if you were a potential client, you would fill out an application and your application would hit my inbox and I would chat, we would chat over email and secure a spot. And once that spot was secured, um, I'd send you some pre-work to make sure that I have all of the information I would need to kick us off on our VIP project. Um, and that happens over three days. So We'd hop on a kickoff call when our project began, and that kickoff call is like a 60 to 90 minute ordeal. And then we'd have a strategy day, which is all on me. I strategize the copy and make a nice outline. It's actually pretty messy. And kind of prepare myself for a big writing day. And the third day of the VIP intensive is also all on me. And that is kind of a writing marathon where I'll flesh out a sales page or a sales email sequence to deliver to the client by the end of day. Um, and then we do a couple of wrap-up things. My clients have the opportunity to suggest edits for a round of edits, and they do also get um, some copy support over Voxer or email. Um, but really everything happens in three days. So what what happens on a strategy day? Can you just go into get into the weeds and are you with the client most of the time or are you just chatting a bit? I know you already had your kickoff call, but what happens on that day? Sure. Yeah. And um, maybe I can clarify. The only time that I need my client for the VIP intensive is on the kickoff call. The rest of the stuff is all on me. Um, the strategy day that comes the day after the kickoff call is where I sit down with all of the notes from our kickoff call, my client's pre, pre-work, which is um, oftentimes like uploading voice of customer or survey responses or maybe a previous sales page. And I, I sift through a lot of different pieces to write an outline and organize my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that will take me all day, uh, as you guys know, wading through research and boiling everything down can take quite a bit. So the second day of the VIP intensive, that's really what I focus on. Um, and once, and I, I'm not unique in this, but I found that once I have a really solid outline, which is, you know, the sections of the sales page outlined and all the relevant voice of customer dropped into those sections, then writing the sales page becomes... I don't want to say easy because it's not easy, but it becomes much more manageable. So I think that skipping the strategy day or skipping like a really thorough outline is probably a mistake most folks are writing. And then you sit down at your sales page and you're super overwhelmed. So the strategy day is quite important. Yeah. I like how you've taken this idea of VIP day, which so many people do, 
and actually added things to it to make it more effective for your clients. And this is one of the things that I struggle with. Not I, I've never done VIP days myself, but I don't like them because it feels to me like everything is so rushed or you've got to jump on and it's not always clear what client's going to get at the end of the day. Do you deliver you know, three emails? Do you deliver seven emails? And so I love the way that you've stretched it out over a few days so that you can do all of the work that is needed in order to get a real result for your client. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting too, Rob. Like um, sometimes as the VIP day is becoming a more prominent uh, offer, for copywriters in particular, I think we make the mistake of blending together a, like a VIP offer and a day rate, you know, where we have, okay, I'll just work for you for this day. Whatever I get done in seven hours, I get done, which truly is a day rate, right? Um, and we can backpedal from that quite a bit. Again, this is all stuff I'm I'm learning over the past year. And say, well, what does my client truly, truly want? If they want a deliverable, which most of my clients want, a full sales page, what do I need to do to be able to make that happen? And, and for me, that was backing away from this is how much I charge per day in that day rate corner. And uh, yes, again, like fleshing that out into what I'm calling a VIP intensive which takes place over a few days so that you can deliver that bigger transformation. Okay, let's cut in here and talk about what stood out. Rachel, what stood out to you in this part of the conversation? I mean, there were a lot of things, <laughs> but I always find it so interesting to hear people's stories about how they got to copy because it's always this winding road. Um, I feel like, especially people who are my age, you know, mid thirties, it just wasn't a traditional option growing up. Like it there, it's not like we had people in our lives that we could look to as like, you know, doctor, lawyer, <laughs> copywriter. It just wasn't, you know, a standard option. So I feel like hearing the stories of how people got there are so fascinating to me. And hers was exactly that, you know, you, we think of writers as these people who are like starving artists, writing novelists. And so we don't really see it as an option. And then I, we all find this kind of in and we're like, oh, you can write in a way and get paid. And it was so fun to hear her kind of back into it through, you know, academia and writing in the health field and then kind of seeing that opportunity open up. Yeah. And I didn't realize uh, until we interviewed Kristen that she had focused so heavily on poetry and that poetry was such a big part, is such a big part of her life. Uh, I'm curious, Rachel, what, what do you do uh, for creativity or how do you get unstuck if you want to feel more creative? Oh man, this is the dumbest answer because I feel like everyone gives it, but I take a shower. <laughs> I keep a waterproof notebook in my shower. No. Because, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Where can I get one? Works. Where can I get a waterproof It's on Amazon. Okay. I forget what it's called. It's like the right rain or something like that. I'll send you a link. You can put it in the show notes. But it is the only place, and you know what it is? It's so sad that my phone is not accessible to me. And so it's like you've you've showered thousands and thousands of times in your life, hopefully. <laughs> and so you're just going through the motions and it's like the ideas, the muse can visit you almost. So if I'm stuck on something, that is the first place I go. Yeah. And it's great because I know you have little, little kids, um, really little. And so it's the one place you can usually go where you're not interrupted 
And so that's why I love shower time too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like blessed silence and alone time. No one's touching you. No one's talking to you. Can't, you. Yeah, you can't hear anything going on. People, mm-hmm. could, I mean, your kids could be screaming and you wouldn't know. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. And my brain just goes into that. It like shifts into neutral and then it's like ready for input. And I don't think I'm prepared for input at any other time. So I wish that I wrote poetry, but I just take a shower. You could write poetry in the shower. I honestly could probably. (laughs) I I love that because I used to have crayons in the shower, these really cool, you know, shower crayons. So I would take note. And that's when I had roommates before I, you know, got married, like two different roommates. And so I would write all my ideas in the shower. But then I realized it got crusted over and like you have to maintain that, you have to clean it. So I think your notebook idea could be a lot easier to maintain than the crayon. Oh, it's magical. I'm going to send you one. Okay. All right. So um, I know we talked to Kristen a lot about her growth because I'm I'm just always amazed when copywriters just kind of take off. And Kristen started her business, her copywriting business in March of 2020 with her first email to her list. And I'm just like, how this is so fast. And she's built it. Um, I guess she talked a little bit about what helped her invest and grow. But can you share, Rachel, what's helped you grow your business? You know, What would you recommend to listeners? I was so impressed by her story. The fact that she's grown so much and so quickly, and especially in March of 2020, like what an intimidating time to start a business. Um, and I feel like starting anything new takes both a lot of confidence and a lot of humility. You need to have the confidence to believe that you can do a good job and then the humility to take feedback when you inevitably don't nail it at some point. And I was just really impressed hearing that part of her story, like sending the emails and then charge big money really quickly. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Um, for me, I struggled with the confidence piece because you meet all these people and you listen to all these podcasts and you hear them doing big things and you just assume that they have something you don't, you know, like, oh, there's a reason they're able to do that. And I think the biggest lesson I learned that helped me kind of step into the role of like CEO and business owner was that they don't have anything special. They just decided to do it. And I needed to make that decision if I wanted to run a successful business. And I feel like that's something Kristen did really well. Like she just made the choice really early on that she was going to make it work. When did you make that decision? Do you remember that moment or the day? Hmm. I don't know. I remember always being really, really insecure when I would deliver a first draft. Like I was already making money. I already had a lot of clients and I was still having this like nagging feeling of insecurity. And you know, those butterflies when you hit send, like, are they going to like it? Are they not going to like it? And it would like, if I didn't hear an immediate hallelujah, you're the best copywriter I've ever met from them, <laughs> I would start to get even more nervous. And I remember my husband said something a couple years ago and it completely revolutionized the way I approached feedback in general he said, like, Rach, what's the, what's happened before when someone doesn't like it? And I was like, well, I just fixed it. And then they loved it. And he just said, well, why would this be any different than that? Like, why do you have to take yourself through this agony every single Monday when you deliver a draft of copy to your clients? And I was like, oh, you're right. And it was like, it was just kind of trusting that, um, the genius and brilliance that gets you to this point can fix any problems that come up. So rather than like fearing the issues, it was embracing the success. So now you don't feel that same, you know, the same anxiety that you used to feel. Is it easier? 
I wouldn't go that okay. far. <laughs> I just don't think it's as intense. Yeah. Okay. Like people say, well, you got to have a thick skin. And I'm like, well, where can I buy that? Because <laughs> I have been doing this for a decade and I still don't have a thick skin. But I think it's just a gradual um, belief in yourself that you can make it better if they don't. Like you're not always going to get it right. And maybe lowering the expectation that you're going to get it perfect and expecting there to be some feedback. That's such a huge part of our job as copywriters is feedback. So for me, I think um, I'm getting better at it, but I, I don't think I'm ever going to be the type of person that's like, oh yeah, no sweat off my back. There's always going to be sweat on my back, but I will figure it out. Um, okay, cool. And we also talked a lot about VIP offers. I mean, that was that's also something that Kristen is known for now. Um, how does structure work in your business? Because the way I remember it from our conversations is that you have a structured business. Like, you know, when client work comes in, you know, when it will go out, you mentioned you have four copywriters now. So what does it look like internally for your business? Yeah, I was listening to this and I was like, oh, that's basically what I do. I just don't call it an intensive. Um, and I love that she isn't doing just one day. Like, I know a lot of copywriters do that and it works really well for them. That again, a lot of sweat on my back. If I'm trying to finish a website in a day, I do not know if I could do that, but we have a really quick process similar to hers in that we have our calls on Mondays. We deliver the first draft of web copy the next Monday, and then we have until that Friday to edit it. So it's 11 days start to finish. It's a little longer than hers, but at the same time, it's fast and there's no freedom to change in that. It's a pretty rigid structure. Okay. And what, what advice would you give to anyone listening who does like the idea of a more rigid structure uh, based off what's worked for you? I think the best thing about it is making your clients feel so special during that time. Like you don't want them to think, oh, you're only giving me this time. You want them to think, oh my gosh, you're giving me all this time. And the way to transform that is the way you communicate about the offer. You know, you tell them you are my sole focus for this time period. No one else gets my attention. You, I'm on speed dial for you. And that way they realize that, you know, you are their employee for that time being. And our clients really, really love that. And I imagine if you're spending three full days with someone and you're constantly communicating during those three days, they have to feel pretty special. So just, you know, making people feel like the apple of your eye, I think is the most important part. I, I like that you have the, ele the 11 days or yeah, 11 days and Kristen has three days. And, you know, even today I was talking to another copywriter who basically said like the, the whole three day concept isn't really working. It feels too rushed. Even a week feels too rushed. So she's, she's thinking about shifting to a 30 day model where it's still a VIP intensive. It's still VIP treatment, but there are more deliverables and then she'll have a little bit more wiggle room. And so I, I, I like that the conversation has shifted now and it's less about what can you do in one day? And it's more like, how can you make your client feel really special like you're you're talking about and also how can you do this in a way that isn't going to fatigue you exhaust you and um it works for your process so i think we we're getting more creative with the vip intensive and i think that's so important because while i think it's so cool to learn from other people other copywriters it's also really important to know yourself really well and to figure out what works best for you you know what amount of time do you need to do your best work? And when is it pushing it too far? 
and when does it make the editing process too cumbersome? Like there's a sweet spot for every industry, every niche, for every single piece of copy you can write. You just need to find it for you and your clients. This was trial and error. Like I've been running it this way for six years almost. And we've changed the process a ton. It hasn't shifted in about two and a half years because we found the sweet spot. And when you work with a client, it is really one at a time, right? One client, one focus, and then you'll add the next client the next week. So you're roughly getting through four for a month? Well, it depends. Our Now that we have more writers, they're all contracted. So it's not like they're on full-time schedules. And so we're probably in 2022. We did... 35 individual websites this year between me and two writers. And so I'm hoping to do the same volume next year, maybe a little bit more because I want to be able to give my writers brain breaks too. You know, they have other jobs and other copywriting that they do. So I would like to give everybody a client or two every single month. Um, That way they're not going back to back with people. And we write in a niche, you know, when you write for only photographers, you need to give your brain some room to breathe. Yeah. And that's what I like about what you're doing and what Kristen is doing. You both are niched down. And so Kristen's niched in the launch space. And she, like she said, she, this is her one offer. If you want to work with her, this is how you do it. And it's the same for your business. This is how you do it with your clients. So do you have any advice just around uh, the power of niching or how it has helped you or maybe frustrations around it because you ha- it is such a big part of your business? Yeah. I mean, Kristen is a great example of this too. If you're excellent at what you do, you have options. I think niching feels like putting yourself in a box to some people. I mean, it certainly did to me at first. And then I realized if I'm really excellent at this, I'm going to get inquiries for all sorts of things. People are in my inbox once a week. I'm an interior designer. I know you only work with photographers, but will you work with me? And I'm sure the same thing happens to Kristen. And then like she gets to write poetry because she's really excellent at this. Like being excellent at this job will allow her opportunities to be excellent in other ways. So I think if you can look at niching as a way to expand opportunity, it's easier to kind of dive in. All right. Okay. And anything else that stood out to you before we jump back into the interview? Uh, She said something that I thought was really, really cool. She said she doesn't know if the way she got into launch copy is repeatable, but I think she did a fantastic job. Like she just showed up. She found someone she respected. She humbly stated who she was and what she wanted to learn um, with Brittany. And she probably added a ton of value to that community and she got noticed for it. And I think there was like, I think consistency and willingness are the main components you need to just start. And she did it. And I think, you know, there's like a lot of formulas in our world as copywriters. And I think I love to hear her thinking critically about it. And she saw things as a guide, not the Bible. And I just like her ability to ask why, but also answer it for like the different kinds of copy she wanted to learn. Okay, well, let's get back into the episode so we can uh, dive deep into the rest of Kristen's VIP process and then also the critical thinking that you shared um, so we can understand more of what she's done in her business. So are there other things in addition to the work process and the work product, the deliverable that you give at the end of the experience? Are there other things that you do to give the experience a VIP feel? I've definitely started the past couple months. Um, part of my offboarding process is to deliver a client gift. And 
I've really made strides to walk away from the typical box, uh, gift box, which are really lovely. I've gotten them myself, but I get to know so many fun things about my clients from chatting with them and figuring out their offers and doing that deep dive into who they are that I love to hop on Etsy and find something super personal. And like, this is a silly example, but a few weeks ago, I worked with a client who is a uh, financial coach and she loves early 90s and like early 2000s hip hop and R&B. Like it's basically a part of her brand. She's always singing. She's got this amazing like soundtrack that she sends her clients so they can do this money you know, money Monday day. And I wove so much fun stuff into our copy that was uh, hip hop and R&B from the early 90s. So when I was going to send her a gift, I did a quick search on Etsy and found a sweet little um, mom and pop shop in Brooklyn that makes um, (laughs) like little jewelry with uh, acrylic faces of rappers on them. So I got her a a Notorious B.I.G. ring with his face on it, which was just, it's funny and silly. It's not, it's not like a high end thing, but it was really personalized. And she dropped me a note that was like, oh my God, this is the best gift I've ever gotten. So that was really fun. So all of that to say, I've woven personalized client gifts into my offboarding process. I also like to surprise my clients and I don't actually talk about this many places, but I like to surprise them when I'm delivering their final copy with some sort of gift and usually like to help them in their business. And usually that's like a client onboarding survey that they can give their um, new students when they enroll in the course. Plus it's kind of selfish because if they come back to me for another VIP day, I have all the correct voice of customer that I need. So I surprise and delight them with some, some little gifts like that. And then of course, everybody is uh, also has access to me on Foxer for a week after. So there's post copy support too. What has surprised you the most about running these VIP intensives? I think that when I first started offering them, and I do get this question a lot from new copywriters too that are interested, but like kind of cautious. It's like, well, how much can I really get done in a day? And I've found that with a process you can get done a lot. (laughs) Um, I think historically I've always been somebody that is like always, I always feel like I'm doing so much work. But when you start to truly pay attention, or at least when I started to truly pay attention to what I was doing, I was wasting 15 minutes here. I was, you know, checking my inbox for 10 minutes. Uh, You know, I was clicking over and messing with the format or setting up the sales page. And when you comb out all of that extra tinkering and do that one thing that you're supposed to do, focus on that one task, you can get a lot done. Plus, I think another thing that's truly surprised me is with all the processes in place, like you get better and better pretty quickly. I do the same process every Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday in my business, which means I write a lot of sales pages and I write a lot of email sequences and it makes, you know, it, it makes it easier. It gets easier. It gets more fun. Um, You can get a lot done. Uh, I think those are, are some big surprises. 
Let's talk about how you price this experience. And I, I actually really want to know, where did you start and how has that changed over the last year and a half or so? I'm definitely, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement in this department for me, but I did start at offering VIP days for $1,200, which I was so scared <laughs> about. I was so frightened. Um, I, I was like, who do I think I am? And those took off. I, I think I sold maybe three or four and I said, oh, maybe I should bump my price a bit. So I bumped it to $1,500. And then those, you know, I kept selling those. Um, so I think I went up to 2000. I'm at 2,500 now for the VIP intensive, but I am viewing that price as um, kind of a beta price as I was just kind of finding my footing with a three-day model. Um, and I'm close to uh, bumping it to 2997. Um, and, I, and I do hope to go up from there. So I'm wondering about the exhaustion involved because we've chatted about this and it's intense, right? Three days focused on one client, like you're not taking a lot of breaks. Um, how do you deal with the just exhaustion involved and, and how do you plan around that? The exhaustion, I, I truly, I mean, they are kind of work sprints. So it's not like you can do a ton of these per, per month. I, I do one per week. Uh, and sometimes when my clients double up on copy assets, right, like say somebody needs a sales page and an accompanying sales sequence, I'll add a writing day to the back end, uh, which means the VIP intensives go, goes four days instead of three. Yeah, those are, those are, that's a lot. That's a lot of work, but I don't feel, I truly don't feel like the VIP intensive model makes me any more tired, <laughs> or exhausted than the, my bigger retainer projects. Um, those perhaps were a different type of energy, but that kind of marathon of, okay, I have three weeks to write a sales page or so, or I have three months to write a launch funnel, that exhausts, like even just thinking about that, that exhausts me way more than thinking about writing a sales page in three days or a few assets in four. So while we're talking about, you know, managing those processes, are there things that you're doing to, um, I guess, the, the self-care routines or do you have, you know, morning routines that help keep your energy up so that, you know, when Monday hits, you're, you're deep into the strategy and when Wednesday comes, you're able to just start cranking on the writing. Tell us a little bit about that. I don't have a morning routine. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not in like the 5am club or anything like that. Uh, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> um, so I usually take my time in the morning. Maybe that's my morning routine. <laughs> yeah. It I sounds do. like a good way to do it if you're not a morning person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I wake up, I have a cup of coffee. Sometimes I sit on the couch for a half hour before I'm like ready to face my computer. Um, Actually, what I've just done recently, which is a new development I'm really excited about, is I joined a co-working space. So when I have my client work, which is my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, mainly, um, I do all of that at, at this new co-working space for this last couple of weeks. Um, and I think that has really um, energized me in the fact of like, Okay, I'm not home all day long. Uh, I have a little bit of a routine going, 
even though it's not a morning routine, I still pack a lunch. I still gather all my stuff together. Um, I still go drive downtown, park downtown. Uh, sometimes I'll walk around downtown. We have a really cute, very quaint downtown section in Fort Collins. So I'll wander around Old Town on my lunch break. And I think getting out of the house that way has been one of the best things I've done for um, self-care maybe in this past year because we've all been pretty pretty cooped up. <laughs> I think that that's kind of the big one that comes to mind. I've, I'm also really energized by, and I will say too, full disclaimer, I'm, I'm a 100% homebody, full introvert. <laughs> so I self-care for me is also like being home. But to create that work-life balance, finding work, a space to work outside of my house has been really nice. But I also do really love getting outside on the weekends. And Fort Collins is nestled like right up against the Rocky Mountains. So taking some nice trips outside on a Saturday or a Sunday uh, really kind of refreshes me for the, for a work week. We we talked to so many copywriters who want to get into launch copy. And you've, you've done it. You've been successful. How What advice would you give to copywriters who aren't in that space? but want to move in that direction? I don't know that how I broke into the launch copy space is like a repeatable process because it was super sloppy. <laughs> and I was just throwing darts in the dark, waiting for something to stick. But all of that to say, I think one of the most meaningful things I did do that I would truly recommend again is I, I found a copywriter who was just a little bit ahead of me in terms of writing launches. And I showed up in her world a lot. I joined her Facebook group. I asked her some questions. I kind of raised my hand and said, hey, I'm kind of new to this space and I'd love to learn more. Um, and I ended up writing on her team. And and it's, uh, you know, who I'm chatting about is Brittany McBean. And um, she's a such a prominent name around the TCC world. So I cozied up to Brittany and I ended up writing on her team for a couple of months before she switched to uh, a full in-house writer. And I learned so, so much that way about launches, about how they work, about what deliverables looked like for clients, about how you troubleshoot, you know, what you might revise, all of these little things I learned personally from somebody else which was super cool. And, and I, I know that's, again, not, not advice where it's like, go buy this course. But if you have the opportunity to do that as a new launch copywriter, I highly recommend it. So because you've spent so much time in the launch space and you know, you've seen what other people's, people are doing, you've seen you know, what your clients want, what are some of the mistakes that other copywriters are making that we, or things that we just need to stop doing when it comes to launch copy? I think what I wasn't doing in the beginning was asking why in terms of the copy strategy. You know, why does the sales page look like this? Why am I putting pain points first? Why am I, why do I include this type of FAQ over this type of FAQ, right? That constant asking of why is I think maybe missing from even some trainings out there. It's, we're, we, we're always kind of looking for a, like a template, like, okay, wait, what is the starting point? Well, sometimes the starting point is a template, but in order to make meaning out of those things, you have to know why you're doing what you're doing. 
why launch email three comes before launch email four. Because uh, if you don't know why, you, you can't truly be an asset to your clients, right? Um, or maybe, or maybe you can, but I think coming with coming at uh, approaching launches, knowing some launch strategy or being curious about launch strategy is definitely necessary and maybe not talked about too much. Kristen, you've grown, you know, like we've already said, you've grown so fast. Um, and I'm just wondering where you've struggled the most in your business since you jumped into the world of copywriting. What's been a struggle? And, and then what is the struggle today? Maybe it's the same struggle. Um, maybe it's different. Oh, sure. I've struggled a lot. <laughs> One of the things that's become apparent to me, and we're we're just fresh off of uh, recording this fresh off of the Think Tank fall retreat, which was truly amazing, but it became really obvious to me at that retreat that marketing is something that I tr- super struggle with, like a lot. I really love the client side of stuff. I really love writing copy. I really love like research and development. But when it comes to marketing my business and getting visible and showing up in a strategic way, I I feel like Bambi on ice skates, you know, like <laughs> I just, I don't know how to do it. So I've definitely struggled with getting visible. I will say that I was never, and again, not, not, I don't think I'm unique in this, but I was never on social media until 2019. I created an Instagram in 2019 for the first time. I created a Facebook for the first time in 2020 when I figured out that a lot of copywriters were using Facebook to network. So showing up in like a public kind of way, it's it's a different language to me. Uh, so th- that's one thing that I have struggled with from the beginning and still struggle with now. Um, and I hope to really home in on that maybe in this next year of business or so shortly and shortly, a short amount of time. <laughs> So in addition to upping your marketing or or figuring that out, what else is next for you and your business? I think digital products are something that I'm super intrigued by. Um, I write, you know, for course creators and folks who are launching digital products. And I have gotten so much out of joining some, some courses on copywriting or on how to run a business. I'm really taken by the idea of digital products. So I hope that next um, I might be coming up with some of those and coming out with some of those, Um, although everything's still just kind of percolating in my head, but hopefully we'll have some announcements shortly. (laughs) I'm just wondering, as you move forward, like what, how, how will you continue to grow in your business beyond starting digital products, but what else are you doing um, in the months ahead to continue to grow in your business, grow personally and grow professionally. I had mentioned earlier that I am basically a team of one with the exception as my very, very brand new VA. Uh, I I have thought about expanding my team, um, not so much in terms of writers, uh, because managing a team of writers was never something I wanted for my business. But I would like to partner with some folks maybe to help me solve that marketing problem that I have. I think one of the lessons I've learned or I'm continuously learning is that I don't have to have my hand in every single pot. I'm kind of a control freak, kind of a perfectionist. And, you know, I feel like I have to be in control of everything. 
Um, and, and letting that go and inviting other people to help me, recognizing that not everything is a zone of genius of mine, is um, a mindset that I'm kind of growing into and increasingly recognizing the importance of. So I do hope to grow my team over the, maybe the next um, quarter or so. Uh, yeah, that's one way. And then personal personally, I just joined... Sorry to bring up poetry again. Um, <laughs> I just uh, decided to get together with a former friend of, or a friend of mine who was a former MFA student with me and one of our professors. Um, we still live in the same town to do a monthly book club, <laughs> which has never worked for me before. I've never been in a book club, but um, poetry books are often short and easy to get through. So Every month we're meeting up at a cafe and chatting about a new book of poems, which is something that I'm really, really, truly looking forward to after being so business-minded, especially over the last year, thinking about talking, uh, talking about art and poetry with other folks again, feels really inviting. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, now I kind of want to join that book group. That sounds <laughs> kind of cool. I, I can drive over the front range and, and join you guys for, uh, <laughs> once a month, something like that. So Kristen, uh, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago the Think Tank retreat and that it was amazing. I'm and this is a totally selfish question, but I'm curious, you know, to to hear from you. Like, what was it about that retreat that uh, was so impactful for you? Oh, oh boy. Um, well, I think being first of all being in a room with with some folks that you admire. Uh, and and learning from them. And I'm talking about Chris Orzakowski and um, Casey Stanton and um, a couple of other folks, just just being in a Zoom room with them. And again, not it's not, you know, a summit where you don't have access. Like you can ask these folks questions, which is wild. Uh, having that type of access to industry leaders is is so energizing. It's so encouraging. Um, that was just such a highlight. I also think that being able to leave those uh, workshops and then go chat about that stuff with your fellow think tank like copywriters really, again, just makes everything uh, that much more special because you have all these brand new ideas and you get to chat about them. Like I was boxering with Ash Chow uh, yesterday about digital products um, because you're excited and you get to share that excitement and brainstorm with other folks just like you. Uh, that Those two things in particular stand out right now, but um, truly, truly just a really spectacular experience. Well, thanks. Thanks for saying that, Kristen. And I'm going to bring a question back that I don't, I haven't asked in a while, but I love it. Um, what does the future of copywriting look like to you? I could be wrong. I'm still a newbie. But I think that more and more, and we've seen this a little bit recently, but I think more and more we are getting really disenchanted and fed up with the old <laughs> the old marketing tactics that, yes, worked, but feel really um, bad. <laughs> they feel bad. Um, and I think I think most of that stems from, you know, this idea of conversion copy. And if we think, you know, we're all people who use language all the time and we work with language as a medium. Um, 
the word conversion copy, I actually don't, it doesn't resonate with me because we're not really trying to convert anybody to anything. That's where this slimy comes in, right? Like I'm going to trick you. I'm going to convert you and into this program and um, it's going to be sneaky and you're not going to know it's happening. Uh, I think all of that has to go. And I think that we're making some really exciting shifts to thinking about conversion copy, which I think needs a new name, in terms of giving folks the tools that they need to make the best decision for themselves. So that gives the agency back to the potential client or the potential student to make a decision um, and not so much on the copywriter or the um, course creator or business owner to, to, to trick folks or convert them over. So I think we'll see a really great and meaningful shift into more ethical copywriting and um, the way that we teach and view what it means to write conversion copy. Thanks, Kristen. This has been an awesome, awesome look at your business and how far you've come in so little time. If somebody wants to connect with you, follow you, read your poetry and all the other things, where should they go? <laughs> uh, <laughs> if... If you want to come check out uh, my website, it's mcintyrecopy.com. If you want to chat, please DM me. I love chatting with folks in DMs. Voice notes are my fave. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at kristen.mcintyre. And if you are eagerly awaiting uh, some poems, I have a poetry collection that I've been shopping around to a few publishers. Uh, it was my master's, the master's thesis. Um that is probably not going to be in the world for another decade or so. <laughs> <laughs> and just to be clear, just, it's McIntyre, T-Y-R-E, not T-I-R-E, just in case somebody you got it. spell it correct. Yeah. You got it. So your poetry collection is not your lead magnet. <laughs> Ooh, but it should be. Maybe it should not be. Yet. Not yet. I want it. it please will... take my email address. I want your poetry. Please, please, please. <laughs> Well, Kira, I remember. Um, I remember you said somewhere that you were like head of the poetry club in high school, <laughs> which might have been the moment I got some hard eyes for you. <laughs> well, I don't even mention that to you since you have such a you have a professional background in it. But yes, I did co-found um, a poetry club back in the day. So I'm now I'm googling for Kira's poetry. Oh my gosh, it's it so all. embarrassing. Kristen's <laughs> legit and good. I am just an embarrassing. Um, so I'm embarrassing poet. But yes, we'll talk poetry privately and I'm excited to read yours. So thank you, cool. Kristen, so much for hanging out with us today. Thanks so much for having me. That's the end of our interview with Kristen McIntyre. Before we head out, Kira, what else stood out to you in the last half of the episode? Well, uh, the whole morning routine part actually made me very happy because we do talk a lot, a lot about morning routines um, and the 5 a.m. club. And I, you know, when, whenever we talk about it, it's, I'm interested in it. I love to hear about people's routines. I'm always trying to kind of figure out my routine that constantly changes. Um, but I also can kind of see or feel the eye rolls from anyone listening who's not an early morning person or like just like that doesn't work for them. And so I love that Kristen was just like, I don't really have a morning routine. Like maybe that's my morning routine. And so it just shows you that there, like you said, there is no formula. There is no right or wrong. 
Uh, you don't have to wake up at 5 a.m. to be a successful copywriter. Uh, Kristen proves that. Many copywriters have proven that. Um, so I guess that just leads me to, Rachel, to you. Do you have a morning routine or, or just how do you feel about morning routines? I laugh really hard when bros on like bro marketing podcasts talk about their 5 a.m. routine. And I'm like, if you have kids, you have a wife, obviously, <laughs> like if you are able to <laughs> handle all of this, because it's as a mom, it is just not feasible like to have consistency when your babies are little. And so if I'm the wrong person to ask about that kind of thing. I have to wake up at 5 a.m. because it's the only time I'm alone if I'm not in the shower. <laughs> so I, and my brain works better in the morning. Um, so I do the bulk of my work for the day between 5 and 7.30. That is not me being part of the 5 a.m. club as in like, I wake up at 5 a.m. and then I'm hitting the work hard until 5 p.m. No, I hit it until 7.30 a.m. <laughs> And then if I have lingering things to get done throughout the day, I will revisit it. But the bulk of my work has to happen in the morning before anyone has asked me to make them oatmeal. And is that is that day to day or is that do you feel it out? I this is I've started doing this where I do like to start at 5 a.m., but I also just like feel it out. And it's not maybe it's a little bit of laziness or I don't know, maybe it's a slacker in me. But I'm like, if I wake up and I'm just not feeling it, I will sleep through until seven when the kids wake up. Absolutely. You should do that. You have a little tiny baby. <laughs> I would say more often than not. And this is new. I had a really hard time. I had my son in June of 2020 and I was waking up with the kids until probably August of this year. So over a year, I was just getting up with the kids and I found myself getting so frustrated because I wasn't getting back to my computer until nine or nine 30 in the morning after the nanny came and I knew my best hours were done. Like my brain just works better in the morning and I'm asleep on the couch at eight 30 every night. I am not a late person at all. And I wish I was cause I love nighttime. I just can't stay awake to enjoy it. So I started, finally, I like dug myself out of the nursing kind of grind because <laughs> I was up nursing in the middle of the night for a year. So 5am just wasn't going to happen for me. Um, but when I started doing it in August, it's been almost every day because I'm sleeping through the night. Now, if my kids are up throughout the night, I guarantee you I would be hitting that snooze button and going right back to bed. But I just know that I'm going to do my best work then. So that's why I do it. I think you should we get to own our own businesses. So I think that we all should work whenever is best for us. I love it when people are like, oh yeah, I work till 3 a.m. Like I would die <laughs> if I tried to do that. So you have started getting up at five. Are you still up through the night with your kids? No. And that's, that's a really good point, right? It's just things constantly shift. And so for me, now that Homer isn't up Typically, he's been sleeping through the night, and I, I'm able to get back because I do like the morning routine. I do like an early morning, um, so that's helped me kind of get back to that. But I'm, I'm, it's not consistent yet, and that's okay, and I'm just kind of going with the flow. But I, like you, I do my best work in the morning. And again, like we've said, Kristen does her best work later in the day. You don't have to be part of the morning club. It's cool. Um, so I'm glad that she brought that up. And I also like that she mentioned she is, goes to a co-working space. And I know that's something that wasn't available to many of us over the last few years because of you know the pandemic. But 
it's great to hear that copywriters are able to get out more. And it, that is something that I miss. I used to go to coffee shops all the time in New York and I loved the energy and I could just work really well. And I'm, I'm missing that, uh, the co-working space in that environment. Um, so yeah. What, what about for you? Do you get out? It is so hard to live and work in the same room. Um, I try, but my babies are so little and they're not vaccinated. And so I'm still a little bit hesitant, probably more than the average bear with being in public spaces all that much. Um, but every once in a while I will treat myself and Denver, I live in Denver, Colorado, so it's really nice outside a lot of the time. So I have a porch swing. (laughs) So I try to go out and work there some days just to like switch up the scenery, but I'm with you. Like the coffee shop vibe is definitely my favorite kind of environment. And if I were smarter and more proactive, I probably would get a co-working membership where I get an office to myself. So I don't have to worry about COVID. <laughs> yeah, that might be a goal for me in 2022 office space. So um, we did touch a little bit on the VIP experience and just how to really make it feel VIP. Kristen shared that she likes to surprise her clients with um, not only a gift, uh, but also with some type of deliverable. And I, I really like that she shared, um, I think she shares her client onboarding survey as the gift and it helps because it will help her with the next project. If they book again, then she can actually have survey data. So it's really smart. It adds value for that client experience. Anytime you can surprise and delight, that's a, a win. So Rachel, what else do you do? I know you said that you like them to feel special. You want them to feel like well, they are the only client you're focused on. Is there anything else you do to surprise and delight your clients? Yeah. Everybody who is a one-on-one client of ours gets um, cookies in the mail. Mm. Because I talk a lot about cookies on Instagram because they're my favorite food. (laughs) So everybody gets some cookies and I'm actually switching up the business that we use, but I, I mean, who doesn't like getting food in the mail? And then I actually have a mustard with like my label and brand on it that I'm obsessed with. And if I do a copy audit for them, that's what they get for that. They get mustard? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's really spicy habanero mustard. And it's got my logo and my business name so and fun. the colors on it. And I cannot tell you how many clients are like, can I get another bottle of that mustard? I want some. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to send you a notebook and some mustard. And where are the cookies? I know you said you're changing the company, but um, do you recommend any cookie source? Because you know it's it's hard to find good cookies online. It's really hard. I mean, Milk Bar has a great selection. Um, I use a brand called Stuffed Cookies in California. They're really decadent, really over the top, but their branding is hot pink. Um, so it just doesn't go with my vibe. So I've been using them. So we're going to switch to, um, I don't even know how to say it. The company in New York, they're famous, Levan, Levan Cookies. So we're going to switch over to those. But I mean, a little bag of cookies in the mail. It doesn't get much better than that in my book. Yeah. All right. So uh, Kristen shared a little bit about her struggles and she, you know, so much is going well in her business, but she said a struggle is her own marketing and not showing up on social media. Uh, Is that a struggle that you have dealt with? What's helped you? Because this struggle is a real struggle for many of us. This is not just Kristen. So how have you worked through that? I mean, when I was in the think tank with you, I feel like I talked a ton about social media. I struggle with it because it would consume me. It was something so mindless. It was such an easy way to escape, you know, any difficulty. Um, And I would always like count it as work, you know, like, well, I'm on Instagram, I'm working, you know, but it's not all work. (laughs) And so I think for me, I put really, I took an eight month break 
And then I put really, really strict boundaries on it when I came back um, this summer. And I just said, you know, if I'm going to be on it, I'm not going to post about anything but work. So if this is going to be a viable lead source for me, I have to be creating consistent content. Um, Because I really fell into the bad habit of using my kids as content because that's what I was doing all day especially in 2020. And I didn't want, nobody cares about that, that wants to hire me. You know, my clients are Gen Z wedding photographers, so I don't think they cared about my three-year-old. Um, and which is fine. They shouldn't. So I kind of took that as a content pillar out of my strategy and it's made me, forced me to get more creative and just kind of look at every conversation I have with a client as content opportunities. And it made it much less personal in a way that my feelings aren't wrapped up in my posts anymore. And if it performs well, great. If it doesn't, doesn't matter. So I think removing that personal element for me was really, really important to showing up more. Um, And I don't want my friends and family to follow me on there because that's not what the account is for. So I think that mindset is huge if you're going to post because otherwise you can get really embarrassed or, you know, worried what people are going to think. But if you just look at it as another lead source, it's like, okay, I can either market myself for free today or I can't. Well, and how has that impacted your business now that you've started this back up? Can you feel a difference? Oh, I feel a huge difference. I care so much less about like what my aunt might think about my posts because it's not for her. Okay. All right. And the eight month break is that why eight months and and um I guess what triggered that was it just the exhaustion of caring too much about the po- okay yep <laughs> exactly I was doom scrolling a lot um we were trapped in Philly with a newborn and a two-year-old with no childcare and working full-time and so I felt like every available moment I wanted to just like shut my brain off and so I would just sit there scrolling and you know it was just hard everybody lived the pandemic differently and followed different rules because, you know, that's just how it went. And I found myself being so much more critical of other people than I wanted to be. And I didn't want to know if people were living differently than me. I didn't want to know that about them. I didn't want to have opinions about that. (laughs) So I literally just shut it all down. And I was like, I can't look at this anymore. Like, I just want to live my life and enjoy my decisions for what they are. And um, I want to focus on my clients in front of me. And so that's what I did. And it was great. And it was really useful. And my mental health thrived for the first time in a really long time. Um, But I got back on this summer with a bunch of rules around it about how I was going to use it. And um, it's been fantastic. It's the number one lead source for me and my business. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm currently off of social media. I mean, not for a designated (laughs) number of months or weeks. It's just I'm not I'm just not showing up there. Our our brand is for the copywriter club, but as Kira Hug, my brand is not currently active and it's just nice. I'm enjoying it. How does it feel? Um, it just feels like I can focus on the important things. I mean, and uh, it just feels like a relief, but also it feels like I can jump in when I want to jump in and that's okay. And so, yeah, that's how I felt too. I didn't really have a time. I was going to do it for a month. And then I was like, no, (laughs) the end of every month came and I was like, no, I'm not ready. I don't feel like it yet. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I'm going to continue and we'll see. Maybe we'll go for eight months for me too. So this, this connects to um, a little bit of what we talked to Kristen about around control. And again, I appreciate that Kristen was very open about it, that she 
struggles with letting go and letting go of that control in her business. And you've had to let go in your own business because you have four copywriters that you work with as you've built your team. So this is hard for all of us. What has helped you let go? And yeah, what's been a best practice for you? I think it's so scary. I hired an assistant for the first time this summer and it's such a hard lesson to learn that we don't have to be in control because we start these businesses and literally create systems and processes and offers and like marketing strategies out of nowhere. Like we are literally making it all up as we go. And then you invite someone to come in and shake it up and to tell you where the holes are. I just think it's so scary because again, obviously I, there's a theme here that I have a hard time separating my feelings from my business. And I think it takes some real humility. And I just related to her so hard when she was talking about the need to let go of that control and like invite someone in to make it better because it's your baby. You know, it was my first baby before I had actual children. And I think just realizing, I think it's practice. It's not anything you can do until you try it. Once I invited my assistant in and she kind of was like, you know, this doesn't really make sense that you do it this way. I'm like, well, I've been doing it that way for four years. And then I realized, okay, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She's right. And so once you see the value that other people can bring you and how wrong you can be about certain things, it doesn't matter if it hurts your feelings, if it starts making you more money or making your life better. (laughs) So I think for me, this has been a season of practice and just, I, even though it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel comfortable and it hurts my feelings sometimes, I have to keep asking people what I'm doing wrong or what else I can be doing better. And not only will your feelings stop getting hurt, you're going to love that person. Yeah, no, feelings are hard. And I, I know <laughs> we've talked a lot about feelings too, but you're right. I think practice helps. And it was hard for me to let go of anything. And then the more I've done it, the more I'm just like, I want to let go of everything. Yeah. Like, take it all. Do you start, you do not want to stop. Right. And so now that the challenge is actually not giving everything away because some of it, I, sh- I should hang on to parts of it. So sorting through that. Uh, and we, we also covered retreats and mentioned retreats and Kristen commented on think tank retreats and how that's helped her. And so can you just share a little bit about your experience? You've been to think tank retreats. You've been in person to think tank retreat or two. So I guess what, what is the power of a retreat? Why is it worthwhile if it is for other copywriters to experience that in their business? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but I love to talk and being able to do that in person is so much more meaningful to me. So I think the think tank, it was exactly what Kristen said it was for her. Like I just being in the room with people that you respect and admire and asking them personal questions that directly relate to your own business. It there's nothing like it. I don't think there's anything you can do in your business. That's as powerful as that. I remember I went to the think tank retreat in 2019 that summer and I was launching my relaunching my business that fall. And I got so many tangible ideas just from talking to people and them being able to see what I was passionate about and the look on my face when I talked about certain things helped them give me better feedback. And I hope I was able to do that for them too. But there's just something so powerful about being able to feel someone's energy around something. It changes the advice that you give and receive. Anything else that you want to cover, Rachel, or highlight from the the rest of the conversation? I mean, I'm just impressed by her. That's what I kept thinking (laughs) the whole time. I'm like, go girl. 
Keep doing the dang thing. And I want to say about the marketing piece, because she said she struggles with that. That is such an easy way to invite someone into your business. And I know she talked about doing that, but like it does not, we create so much content like in our lives. And as copywriters, we're constantly writing emails. We're constantly giving advice. We're constantly commenting on Facebook posts in groups. Like if you have someone else to just come in and tell you, like pull out the pieces that are valuable and then create like marketing content around it. Oh, it's such a breath of fresh air to not have to constantly be reinventing the wheel like that. Yeah. And, you know, since we even interviewed Kristen, she, I I know she mentioned somewhere in there that she wanted to create some new offers and um, develop some new offers in the future. But the future actually is now because Kristen has already, since this conversation, she's already launched her own product around how to create VIP intensives where she just gives everything, all of her templates. So it's, it's cool to hear this interview and know that she actually did this within a month or two of that conversation and didn't even Girlfriend moves fast. She moves Jeez. really fast. So um, definitely check out Kristen's VIP offer. That's the end of the episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you liked what you heard, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out episode 226 on creating a multifaceted copywriting business with Christy Sigelski and episode 176 with Elaine Wellman if you want a behind-the-scenes look at TCC IRL. If you're interested in joining us for TCC IRL, if you want to meet Rachel, our co-host today, in person, then we'll link the info in the show notes. You can check it out at thecopywriterclub.com backslash TCC IRL dash 2022. And a big thank you to my co-host for this interview and commentary, Rachel Griman. Rachel, if anyone wants to connect with you, follow you, uh, check out your Instagram, I don't know, just have a conversation with you. Where, where could they go? Yeah. Well, first, thanks you guys for having me. I had so much fun being on here. Um, I am green chair stories everywhere on the internet. So that's my Instagram handle. Greenchairstories.com is my website. My DMS are always open. I have boundaries, but I love chatting with people in there. (laughs) I have boundaries, but (laughs) all right. Well, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole damn episode.